It's Saturday, May 13th, 2023, and this is a live, or it was live, episode number 28 of the Mike Newman Show. We had a good old time of uh, doing bunny trails today, so I don't know if I've used that title before or not, but today's is going to be bunny trails. Where Dr. Tim and I sat down and literally talked about what came across our mind, um, just just enjoying the time, hanging out together, had a good breakfast, and started talking about stuff. That's what we do. So hope you enjoyed the conversation, and we'll catch you at the end. You, you go to bed, and you have all the windows open, uh, so you can get a little breeze coming in, because we didn't have air conditioning at the time. And so laying in bed, I suddenly started realizing that in the, in, in, in the quiet of the, of the, the night, I could hear this, mm, 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 oh yeah, mm. and uh, it, it it was much softer than that, but it, it it was almost subliminal. But I could hear it, I could feel it, wow. and it started just bugging me to death. Uh, and I, every night I would I would hear that, and I couldn't figure out what it was. It it went on for for several weeks, as a matter of fact. That I mean. It, it was aggravating. I obviously would go to sleep rather quickly in, the, in those days, but nonetheless, I could I could hear it, and it, it, it bothered me. And and uh, finally, I was uh, uh, having to be down playing with uh, uh, one of my buddies. Uh, lived down the, uh, down close to the railroad tracks, and and we we, we were playing. And uh, across the street from him, across the railroad tracks from him, they had uh, back in the earlier in that year had created a, a large grain storage facility uh, where they would store grain before the, they would uh, load it onto to, uh, railroad cars and ship it out. And uh, as I was, I was, I was, uh, we were playing, they, uh, they, were, they had two extremely large uh, ventilation fans down at the base of this big building. Holy cow. You were hearing that. I was well. What I was hearing was the beat frequency between the two. Yeah. <laughs> they, uh, and I, as I was standing, as I was standing there, one of the fans came on, right? So it, it was it made a, a very distinctive noise. I could hear it, but then the other one came on, and when the other one came on, after a few seconds, I started hearing that sound that I was hearing at night, and it was the it was the beat frequency between the slight uh, frequency variations of the two motors. And uh, it, 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 I, I lived, my house was, was six, seven blocks away uh, uh, from this facility. So it, it was a good distance away. But that very low frequency, beat frequency between those uh, fan motors was something that I literally could feel. And like everything else, once I, once I understood what it was, I, I don't think I ever noticed it again at home. Uh, it it uh, it was now a known quantity and kind of filed away in my mind and it I, I I really never heard it unless I listened for it if I really listened for it at night I could hear it but uh, it was a uh, it was a good early early uh, early lesson in uh, in acoustics and uh, and uh, the uh, what happens whenever you uh, have competing waveforms I guess I remember um, speaking of beat. Harmonics, basically the right. two things that should be running at the same frequency, but are just a little bit off. Yep. Sitting in the back of an MD80, 
with those two engines back there right by the galley. Yep. And been there, done that. <laughs> you're back in convict row. Oh, right, God. right next in to the, the in the middle in the middle seat. In the middle seat in the back row. Yeah. You, you got that last ticket, but you're going home. Yep. Yeah. I, I got one of those, but not quite that. I, I think I was two rows up, but I, uh, I got that on a on a my, my day trip to Prudhoe Bay, Alaska, in February. And, and I <laughs> there's a lot in that sentence. Oh God, I, I got the last ticket on the plane coming out. They had overbooked, and I, I got the last seat that they had to assign. And I wanted to kiss the stairs as I got got onto that flight. Man, it was like the last flight out of Saigon or something. I guess. Mm. <laughs> well, we're going to go live. Cool. We just did. And our great welcome to... And our great oh. welcome to the interwebs. Yes, indeed. We're, we're transferring data right mm. now and everything and all good stuff. As far as I know, it's working. Um, yeah. What, what so, could possibly go wrong? Well, yeah, we could figure out what we're going to talk about this morning. But oh, yeah. We've had a good... Excuse me. I'm still choking down the coffee. Um, well, welcome to... Another breakfast with Dr. Tim. Certainly, one of the things that I want to talk about uh, is about go back to my, uh, uh, my, my my always fallback position. You you talk about space stuff. Space stuff, yes. But uh, I, I I I wanted to, to make a comment on we we uh, I think maybe the last time or maybe time before whenever it was uh, we talked a bit about the uh, the uh, launch of the of the uh, the super heavy booster and the uh, Starship. Yeah. And uh, uh, it's glorious or inglorious end, depending upon how long you've been paying attention to this stuff. <laughs> but I read a, read a fascinating uh, article uh, this week, uh, 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 written by uh, someone that, that had, had paid attention to space stuff for a long time. But he had spent a good deal of time looking at the videos and, and uh, uh, for, for that particular launch. And he made the observation that I, I could appreciate after the fact, but based on the comments he was making. But he, he made the the uh, the observation that 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 rocket assembly, the, the super heavy booster and the Starship, had to be the most sturdy, resilient spaceship or rocket that he had ever seen or to even take heard all of. that tumbling for one thing indeed and he and he, and he went through he he looked at the videos in great detail and he he, he, he made the point that that the first first of all the, the the thing made it up to 20 or 30 miles in altitude right on its on its on its maiden, on its voyage. maiden launch right and that that alone was 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 amazing i mean that 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 400 foot tall stack or whatever it was went through Went, went supersonic, went through max Q, yep. hung together, made it all the way up basically to the point of main engine separation, which seemed to be when things really yeah. went south. Yeah. And uh, so they, they, when they, when they uh, went, 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 and again, this was through a kind of a frame by frame analysis of the, uh, of the okay. videos. Right. When they, when they, when they came to stage separation, they, 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 they didn't separate. So the, mm-hmm. the starship didn't separate from the booster. So that was the first first observation. That that takes something really tough to 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 hang together at that point. When so those clamps or whatever they work. They work. They yep. work really well. He then made the observation that they had a, a, apparently uh, self-destruct mechanisms in both the the booster and the and the starship. starship. Yeah. And those went off and apparently blew holes in everything. 
but it still hung together. Really? So that didn't, that wasn't. Wow, the self-destruct didn't destruct. Didn't totally destruct it. it uh, Interesting. It, 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 it said it made holes in it, but. It, but uh, so it and then this, it. Is, this yeah. is just an analysis I was reading. It's, it's yeah. my own, but, and he's just looking at videos. He doesn't have any inside information. That's right. Yeah. But he made the, but finally made the observation that, that literally what really disassembled the, uh, the, the whole thing was that the self-destructs shut down the propulsion mm-hmm. and, 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 and it started falling rather than rising. Right. But it was only when it got back into the heavier, denser atmosphere that, that the shredding finally, began. That it really finally exceeded all of its design character or design parameters. And there was and, enough fuel in there that yep. things happened. Oh yeah, there's still 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 a lot of fuel around. Yeah. So so once once it started tearing apart at, at that point, which was as it entered the atmosphere. You had an uncontrolled mixing of fuel. Yes, a cat- <laughs> catastrophic self-disassembly. Yeah. I found it interesting that they had their, have their own acronym for it. What was it? A uh, An unplanned... Uh, it's a RUD. Uh, it's uh, a rapid, unscheduled uh, disassembly, disassembly or something like that. Right. Yeah, and which I, I guess uh, has been around for a while, but it well, never really I, what, made it into the mainstream. Yeah, what I remember from... from, from my early years was was the reference to a catastrophic self disassembly. Mm-hmm. So that was that was the term we used back back in the day. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> at any rate, uh, just uh, just an observation wow. that it was uh, it was a. Uh, uh, well, that's cool. I mean, you you for all these. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking back to the Firefly uh, rocket. Uh, it took them, I think, two tries, or at least you know two periods of time the first time they had delays fueling and everything it's like these new rockets always have a fueling issue it's tough to get that all set up just right and flowing into where everything's ready to go at t equals zero or before and on that first launch it um they, they had to they had to push the button and it went up in a fireball real real nice like it's a much smaller uh, platform but um and, and then contrast that to what you're saying here was reported about the uh, uh, the super heavy is that it was so well constructed that it's and, and, and these aren't things I imagine that you really want to have on certainly any manned um, ship mm-hmm. or at least until you have the ability to get the people out and then blow it up so uh, yeah even even people that could figure out how to put together a rocket that is going to hold together under all those conditions, and you figure they probably knew how to hit it at its weakest points, all it did was blow holes in it. Right. So now you got two groups of people that are wondering, hmm, <laughs> we need to do our job better next time. <laughs> in the analysis actually that I was trying to recount, I actually missed the the first observation, which was that that I guess there were there were. Ultimately, eight engines of the 33 that uh, that uh, either failed to ignite or, as the observation was, blew up. Uh, so, so they that was the first uh, indication of how tough the vehicle was. As was the claim that uh, at least more more than one of the engines actually blew up, uh, and, and and that did even shut the thing down from from going up. Uh, it was 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 going great guns uh, uh, through all of that. Actually, uh, you make an interesting point about initial versions of, of things have have fueling issues, uh, and 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 if you think in terms of the the super heavy, 
you have 33 engines that are are burning through a lot of liquid oxygen and some type of kerosene offshoot, I guess, is the, the, the combustibles. Mm-hmm. So you have liquid oxygen flowing at god-awful cold temperatures, and you realize that, that pumps that, that move that liquid are going to be functioning, having to function at extremely cold temperatures. And for for a pump, you have something in it that turns very quickly. And so making something turn very fast at a super cold temperature is is an interesting problem in in uh, in, in uh, uh, properties of materials. Uh, just how do you do it? How do you how do you do that? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't. You don't you don't have oil on there to lubricate. Generally, things that are turned fast, you have to lubricate them some fashion. Uh, so to lubricate something that's at a super cold temperature is uh, is is a tough problem. But the other thing is that that if you have 33 engines, they're all feeding out of essentially one fuel tank and so right. they su- sucking liquid oxygen out of a tank and sucking kerosene out of a tank at a sufficient rate to fuel 33 engines and to get it all there at the same and, time-ish well and and yeah. and, 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 and in the same volumes you yes, know you're, yeah, you're transferring kind of the same same volume uh that's a that's got to be a, a weird weird problem as as well and and the fact that they did it as, as as good as they did is is interesting. How many rut? You know, I always saw, you know, I <clears throat> I, I don't know what it is, but when I look at um, like Cold War era aircraft between the United States and the Soviet Union, for example, um, some of the more modern MiGs look a lot like our F-15s, and you know they, but they all of them, all the Soviet equipment just looked like it was muscly it, it didn't have any flair to it no finesse no finesse no you know you, you could you, you didn't think that thing was going to spin on a dime but you sure could probably bet that it would get from point a to b pretty quickly yeah. and the same lack of finesse to me was oddly in their rockets so when they those massive i don't know were they vostok or whatever they were the, those big dudes mm-hmm they had a whole, they, they went with that repeatable, um, use smaller engines, whereas we said, we're going with five big ones. Yep. And with only five engines, that lended it to a slimmer, uh, more elegant design. Right. You know, the, the, uh, the Saturn V, it, it's simple, but it's gorgeous. Yeah. And, and you look at, um, uh, what the Russians did with I don't know how many engines were under their their bigger lifters, but there were a lot. Well, so I, the, I, the I, math is there, and the engineering's there, and the fact that we relied on them for so long to get our our stuff and our astronauts up to the space station for so long. Um, you have to wonder if, and, and hats off to them, the SpaceX SpaceX engineers said, you know, we need to do that. We just need to do it times five or yeah. something like that. Yeah, well, I, they 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 they've discovered the the, uh, the the rationale for for uh, into one into one redundancy. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, you know. So so so, how many how many engines does it take to uh, 
Well, uh, number number one, what's a, what's a good modular size for an engine? Right, that, that's useful, and we can do useful things. So we design one of those, and we make it work really well. And then when we need a bigger engine, rather than designing a whole new engine, we just slap a bunch together of the of the smaller ones that we know. And when we slap a bunch of them together, well, how, how many of those does it absolutely require to get what? Get to the next, to, where well, we need to, to get, get to. to. We want to get some amount of weight uh, to orbit. Yeah. So what's the absolute minimum? You know, it's maybe it's it's 25 or 24 or something like that. So mm-hmm. we need we absolutely need let's say 25 engines. So let's put 33 on it and figure that uh, we can have some failures and we can still get done what we want to do. Yeah, I need to look that up. See what that was for this suborbital um, jaunt that that they yep. intended to do. Um, whether 26 would have done it. I mean, they got 33 on there. You imagine maybe it's 30 that they need to get to actual uh, orbit. Yeah. But who knows? Well, my, my, I really think the number is, is uh, that they absolutely require to to get to orbit for, uh, let's say, a minimum payload amount. Yeah. It's down in the range of literally of 24, 25 engines. Okay. But but there's that's an interesting point as well, that, that they don't they don't talk about it or they talk about it with different words but if you notice even with the uh, with the falcon 9 the, the mm-hmm. kind of the workhorse right now right sometimes they'll launch and they'll bring the booster back to a drone ship yeah, yeah. but every once in a while they'll launch and they'll actually bring the booster back to the launch pad Right. Right. So it, it. So it. And if you look. Or adjacent. Right. Those or, ones. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah right. 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 Mm-hmm. Back next to land. To it, right. Back. Back to land. And, and mm-hmm. right. Right next to the launch tower. Yeah. Okay. And if you read through the language that they'll they they, they will use this, they'll say something about. Uh, uh, well, if uh, for, for better for 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 better uh, launch characteristics or performance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in certain instances, they'll land on a drone ship. Other times, they'll bring it back to the launch pad. What they're really saying is that it depends on how much fuel we want to use, right? How long we want the engines to run in order to take something to orbit to get our payload to, to separate. Basically, right. how long till second stage? Right. Yep. And, 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 and what the load is? And what the load is? And and so if. If they if they want to launch a heavier weight, they will they will they will bring it down on a drone ship, which means that they're burning more fuel. Uh, they're burning the engines longer in order to get more weight up up to orbit. And they they ran into uh, it run into they had an instance uh, recently where they were launching two geosynchronous communication satellites. I don't remember the, 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 the name of them. They're, they're only seen two of them, and those are big, big satellites. Okay. And they made the SpaceX observation. SpaceX launched them? Yeah, SpaceX launched put them, them. Put them up there, okay. But they made the point that they, they didn't actually try to, to, to uh, well, and, they, and it was one of the few launches they've made with their, uh, with their uh, heavy, Falcon Heavy. So the, I think right. there are three. Is that three, one the two boost? Yeah. Well, there's three, so you got a booster under the, basically the second stage and then, and then you've got the two side guys it kind of right. almost looks like a one of the delta or, right yeah sorry and so yeah. in, in, w- w- they, they were using that configuration to launch these satellites and they made the point that they didn't recover didn't attempt to recover any of the boosters oh and and the, the point being that those satellites are so heavy needed all the fuel they needed all the fuel to, get, to bring they, the boosters back to bring the boosters back yeah 
and so so they have the, they have well, that, that option. Yeah, and I mean, what a flexible platform. Yep. Right. I mean, it's like there's a spreadsheet somewhere, pretty complex one, I'd imagine, that says, "Oh yeah, you want to put that much there yep. at that time." Uh, let's see what we got here. Fingers and goes. Goes. Well, that's going to cost you a lot more because yep. we need all the fuel to do that. Yeah, now, if exactly. you were to break this up into two launches, then it looks like this and this, but then we got to schedule it, and you know, you just start thinking of it as a accounting issue and a scheduling issue and a recovery issue and all of that. Yep, it's it's a cool. Well, it's it's, it's the decision you make. Of what kind of airplane are you going to fly? Right, uh, A380 eight, versus eight, Dreamliner. Eight, 18 times a day between Dallas and Houston, or <laughs> Dallas and Austin. Dallas and Austin, exactly. You know, you know, and, 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 and I think back over our, our experiences here that <laughs> yeah. every once in a while, it made sense that you flew a DC-10 right. uh, carrying whatever it was, 300 people. From, or a 757 in, yep. in, in my era. Yeah. yeah, we used to call that the cleanup. Batter, oh, right? Right, absolutely, right. So, and that's that was the, the that last was the flight last of the flight night. of the night from Dallas and to Austin. It was the first one out in the morning too, well, because it was cheaper to park a DC-10 in Austin <laughs> than it was in Dallas. Plus, you you can you can drag all those schmucks that live in Austin, which I was happy to be one of them yep. on that 515 pushback. God, that sucked. 515 pushback, but you get up there to Dallas. And you've got the entire inventory of what Dallas considers the first flights out. Yep. And that was great. I could get to D.C. before noon, connecting through Dallas. But, yeah, loading that 757, and there were, I would say there were almost no rookies on that 515 flight. Yep. Everybody knew the routine. Yep. And you they just were, get they in. Were, they were just they were they were still asleep. They were going. <laughs> they, they were on autopilot at that point. Totally drones. I've yeah. been there. Yep. Well, coming in, they, I I remember more the the other direction that that coming home. I was I would I was there was a period where I was I was making that flight home from the coast one coast to the other mm-hmm. twice a week at least and often three times a week. Jeez. And you you knew that. It was really, really hard to miss that last flight of the night out of Dallas. Yeah. I mean, they, and, and American in those days, this was at the old Austin airport still, uh-huh. but American flew that DC-10 out, and there was, there was always another seat available, mm-hmm. and they pretty much kept that thing on the ground in Dallas until every possible connecting flight had landed, mm-hmm. if, if it was going to be possible to land it that night. Right. And as I say, you had to, you had to try really hard to miss that. I, I almost did one night. I, I'm not sure if I'd ever counted my little travel story, but you were uh, you were in that last connect or that last one coming in that needed the connection. That needed the connection, yeah. and literally the plane I was on coming in from San Diego, it landed at probably five or ten minutes after the departure time for the uh-huh. for the last flight. But I got off the plane in Dallas. I looked at the board. That flight was still boarding, hadn't departed yet. Where but was it? It was at a different terminal, <laughs> and and I I knew how long it was going to take me. I don't know why I came up with this solution, but I knew how long it was going to take me on the tramway to get because around. Because back then, folks, they had the train. Yep. T R A A I N. 
was the AA train. You went downstairs instead of going upstairs. And it was this little rickety automated... Uh, just thing rattled around on, on clackety, wheels, clackety, if I remember clackety, right. Yep. Clackety, clackety, clackety. It, it took and it a went, while. It, it took a while, and it only went in one direction. Right. So that, that particular night, I, I knew that, and I knew how long it was going to take me. And so I, yep. I, as a, when I went downstairs, rather than going another level down and getting on the train, I went out the door and went out front. Uh-huh. And the shuttle bus to that would take you from the terminal to your car parking, out of the parking yeah. lot yeah. was sitting right there. It always was. I popped on the plane. I pulled out a $20 bill and handed it to the driver. I said, any chance you can get me to Terminal take D? Take me to Terminal B, please. Right. I've got a flight. He said, when's your flight leave? I said, it's already scheduled to depart. He said, sit down and we'll, Hang we'll, on. we'll see you. <laughs> and we made it. So uh, that's a rattly ride too. It it was, but uh, yep. the, you know the guy had a, had a destination. He, and he was like, "This is the most fun I've had all day." Absolutely, but and he got me there, and I and I got on the I got my and seat went on through the security DC-10. again. That's yep. the amazing part that anybody was there still this doing was, security. This was this was this was a, 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 an ago. earlier earlier time. Yeah, <laughs> there there was security, but it was pretty much you slapped your thing down on a on a conveyor that put it through a metal detector. Yep, and and you were done. There was no. Yep. Of this, none of this searching your body or anything right. else. It was literally just a medical med, 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 well, metal detector. Now it is medical. That was a good Freudian <laughs> slip. Indeed. Yep. Well, so so yeah. you, it, 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 was, it was, as I say, it was just tough to miss that flight. But, yeah, so that's, that's how you, you, just in that discussion of choosing your platform for the mission and the economics of it. And, and so there were a lot of economics in Americans' choice of using that that big honker that normally would have been either international or um, typically well, long haul New York to L.A. or stuff we're, like we're, that. We're both we're both uh, of an interesting age because we've we've now watched the entire full cycle. That is, back in whatever it was the 70s or 80s, uh, as uh, as Boeing and Airbus in particular were in competition for new airplanes. Right. That uh, that they 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 both came to that both Airbus and Boeing had to make a decision about what they thought the future of long haul aviation was going to look like, mm-hmm. and so Airbus made the uh, uh, assessment that the way long haul aviation was going to look like was a, a hub and spoke. Uh, system worldwide so there would be a few very large airports around the world Mm -hmm. and that you needed a vehicle that could move large numbers of people between from one hub to another and then from the hub you would get into much smaller planes and take you out to places you want to go so from europe you would fly into dallas for example and you would change planes in dallas Mm -hmm. and get a small airplane that would take you down to austin and from Austin, you'd fly to Dallas, and you'd get on a, on a small plane, and in Dallas, you'd get on a big honker that would fly you to, to Frankfurt, Germany, mm-hmm. and you'd do, repeat the process there. So, And, and that, that would, in a lot of cases, work. For It would just make two legs, but a lot of cases, that's a three-leg flight, because right. the, the hub-to-hub really gets you, just gets you somewhere where you can get to your... You're either back to your origination or to your destination because a lot of times you're on a regional right. on either end. So Airbus Airbus bet on the, the on the on the, mo- the, the that that hub and spoke model, and they bet on the fact that that you that there was going to be a demand for b- 
big, huge airplanes that could haul a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And so they started designing the A380. So the, the, the double-decker mm-hmm. plane, right? Well, at the same time, Boeing was looking at that problem, and they said, yeah, we don't think that there's going to be quite that much of a dedication to hub and spoke, that rather there's going to be a need to connect relatively large uh, uh, but intermediate-sized airports, if you will. And the 380 also required huge investments on the part of the airports as well. Which which is why you only wanted to fly those between hubs. Right. And those hubs still needed to be upgraded because of the weight of this thing, the size of it, the ability to load and unload passengers, double decks. And so a lot of infrastructure needed to be updated, not just selling an airline a bigger plane. Right. But but if you if you design the plane big enough and you could carry enough people you could you could get the per mile cost per passenger down to a really low level. Right and and, and yeah and so 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 that that was that was Airbus's bet that that the economics were going to be that 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 would be that would be a, a model worthwhile for doing the infrastructure upgrade and designing and building the airplane. Boeing looked at the problem and said, no, we, we see it differently, that there's going to be a need for a larger airplane, but that can go, if you will, to more modest size airports. And in particular, and, and if you're going to do that, then you can't require huge infrastructure upgrades for those uh, modest size airplanes. Uh, so so uh, you, you, they saw a demand for a, uh, a smaller uh Big airplane, mm-hmm. and so they 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 put their bucks on the the, the uh, 287, uh, right? 287, 787, 787. I'm sorry. No, that's right. Excuse me, I, I'm only off by 500. Yeah, it's okay. Mm. Anyway, so so they 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 designed the, the 787, and uh, uh, they went in big, incidentally, at the same time for uh, composite uh, building materials, yeah. so that they could make the this plane lighter. Uh, but it was still going to be a uh, 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 so they could carry more passengers uh, for a given fuel load, or they could call carry more fuel and carry the passengers farther. So, so exactly the same issues that we were talking about the uh, the rockets uh, a, a, a few minutes ago, and so they 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 made that bad, and, and so we're we're old enough to now have watched the cycle, which says that. It was the 787 model that won, and the A380 lost. And right. there, there are still some, there are still A380s uh, flying around the world, but they've stopped the production line for those. Yeah, and they're not building any more of them, and they, they, they're not certainly not upgrading any more airports. So, uh, the places where those are going to fly. Uh, those planes are, are, are flying to, and, and I think I've even started to notice uh, announcements periodically of, of airlines uh, uh, cutting down the number of such planes that they that they have, and it's only uh, uh, a couple of uh, Middle Eastern uh, state-run airlines that still have significant fleets of the A380s. Weren't the Asian uh, airlines using them as well? But but you're right, mostly like Emirates and, uh, yeah, uh, and uh, uh, yeah. maybe it is Emirates that that went in heavy. Yeah, I, that, that's what I remembered. I, but I, I didn't mention it because I'm not positive of that. But uh, I thought that it, it was largely worth. 
Interesting. Yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, I think that uh, certainly um, uh, 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 Singapore, uh, I think, had uh, had some significant numbers. I'm not sure about the. Qantas uh, had a few. Yeah. Uh, Qantas had a few. Uh, not sure about the Hong Kong airline. Uh, oh, I, Cathay. Cathay. I, 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 I think cert- Cathay. I, I used to fly a, a lot of Cathay, and I, I don't recall ever even yeah. running across a The one a time we flew together on Cathay, it was Heathrow to Hong Kong, right. and that was a 340, I thought. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's a bigger one, but it wasn't the... No, mm-hmm. three, was the 350 out then? Uh... Well, the 350 Sorry. was the competitor to the 787. It, it is the competitor to okay. the 787, I think. Right. And and I, it came out, uh, I, I mean, they started that development uh, uh, pretty well. The, the A380 was a, was an extremely fast development, I, I recall. Uh, Airbus did that really well. They they designed that big honker and put it into production in a, in, a, in a relatively short period of time for, for building a new airplane. And they came up with the hardest way possible to build it. Yeah. <laughs> Run it through small villages in the south of France. Yes, yes, On a lot of small. A villages. lot of small villages with a lot of guys in brightly colored vests going. Yeah, don't hit the artifact. <laughs> yep. It's actually the kind of the same way you build an automobile these days, which is that that you have a, a list of uh, forty-seven thousand suppliers around the world that can build little pieces, and uh, yeah. uh, and so you, you Boeing did the same thing. What um, Japan made the who made the wing? Somebody made the wings. I think it was Japan. Um, fuselage, of course, was was Boeing, but then you had um, you know. Have you ever read the Michael Crichton book? I think it's called Airframe. Oh, I need to. It's it's, it's an old book, but yeah. but but uh, the the point I remember it and you and you you touched on it there. He he made the point that this was a this was a, a story about building a new airplane, and he observed that that in building a, an airplane in modular pieces, the most sought after or the most profound of the pieces was the wing. Mm. That's it, it. That that if you were if you were going to transfer technology from right. one society to another you did it by allowing the other society to build the wing of an airplane i mean you go all the way back to the wright brothers and that was the difference was what they called uh the wright brothers called it wing warping and they're like they did it just by looking at the birds hovering down in kitty hawk down over the over the be- over the sandy beaches down there and like, wow, look, they changed the shape of their wing. Mm-hmm. And you, it's the curvature. It's, it's the ability to change that curvature of the wing, which is where we get flaps and, um, yeah. So a friend, a friend uh, that, that follows weird bunny trails even more than I do. Um, oh, come on, just watch uh, us go today, man. Yeah, anyway, he, <laughs> he, he actually sent me a picture uh, once of a goose landing uh, a picture taken from slightly above but in front of looking down at the at the goose landing on the lake huh. and he, he it, it was a, it was a, it was a nice beautiful picture but he blew it up a little bit and he literally pointed out to me all of the different wing features that were in use on that goose which you find on an airplane 
you could see the you could see the the uh, uh, I don't even remember now what they call it, but the the front of the wing that can distend down yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, you you saw the flaps, you saw the ailerons, all of this mm-hmm. in the different feathers of the goose's wing as it was landing. But there 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 was a, there was a there was a, almost a distension of the the front of the wing of the goose's wing down. There was uh, an elevation of some mid-range feathers out at the tip of the wing that were, were oh yeah the, the flaps yeah oh that that were that were the, that were the leading edge of the flaps yeah there was the the, the, the trailing edge of the flaps on again this is on the goose's wing and there there, there were their ailerons out at the the at tips the very of the wing tips. all of these different feathers that were sticking in different directions controlling the airflow as this goose came down to land on yeah. the water and i thought good grief you know uh, very yeah uh, very cool very cool whoever designed the goose had it yeah, down pat probably knew what he was doing yep so yeah and so back to kind of i'll watch this rabbit trail tim um <clears throat> You're ready. I can hardly wait. <laughs> so, platforms that have flexibility built into them for, yeah, so basically, you got a protocol, right? There's a protocol that they decided on at SpaceX of the different configurations, the different payloads they could carry, uh, the conditions necessary, blah, blah, blah. It, if you boil it down, I... I I see a protocol there, and we, same thing for um, designing an aircraft. You have to have certain knobs you can turn and, and so forth, and you do those under certain conditions to achieve desirable outcomes. So now we can go to another, nope, another Musk thing, Twitter, and the announcement that, um, and I'm going to use the phrase that's used in the media, but, but I think it's completely it misses the point that uh, Tucker Carlson is, quote, going to Twitter. Well, there is no Twitter to go to. Twitter's a, in my opinion, it's, it's very much like what Carlson said in his I'm going to Twitter thing. But he didn't say I'm going to Twitter. He's basically going to post his videos to Twitter, just like you or I could. And... The difference is, if you or I did it, we'd be talking to a wall like we do right now. Right. You'd have fun doing it. You might make a nice point and interesting conversation. But this is Tucker Carlson. So now, so Twitter has to be able to handle that load. And it also has to have the protocol that um, allows him to gain the reach that that platform states that it has. And, of course, they hired a new CEO this week, which is kind of unrelated, but we'll see. We'll see how that turns out. <laughs> loved, it, loved it, yes. I, 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 I love it for, for a whole different series of reasons. So this all, is our all, all I suggest yeah. is that yeah. you, you go look at the CEOs of Elon Musk companies, yeah. and you'll see a theme. And uh, I, I, I think that's fascinating, uh, a, a fascinating theme. But yeah, the just the going to Twitter thing, you know. Well, so so yeah. so the going to Twitter. So so that I mean, your 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 observation immediately brought to mind to me a uh, 
uh, Cheryl Atkinson. Yeah. Cheryl Atkinson uh, became, uh, uh, this is my opinion, right? I need to always make that, but but I believe it to be the case that she became something of persona non grata uh, within the broadcast industry, certainly within, I think it was CBS that she She worked worked for. She worked for CBS and then she was getting spied on, so yeah. Yeah, well, and she she wrote a book and she made made the observation that that one of the things that, that, that she found distasteful was that the, 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 news bureau was actually trying to tell a story and i don't mean that they were they were taking reporters who were trying to tell stories Mm -hmm. but the news division itself had producers that were telling a story and they selected smaller stories in order to tell to the larger the narrative yeah, the narrative yes and so so yeah call the call the larger story a narrative they 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 assigned reporters to cover things and they had reporters that had particular they they would express particular viewpoints in their stories and the the producer whoever it was that had absolute control of all of this Mm-hmm. would assign they would acquire resources they would hire reporters they would hire photographers and they would assign them to stories that would ultimately support the narrative support a narrative and if you look at what Tucker Carlson is doing by going quote unquote going to Twitter is you're breaking that model yeah or, or you're not breaking it as much as you're you're taking it down to a much lower level so I, I have little doubt that Tucker Carlson pretty much controls what goes on in his videos that are now going on to Twitter. Just like Rush Limbaugh did this on radio uh, on 30 years ago. On 600 AM radio stations yes. yeah, for decades. Uh, but, 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 so, so he, but the, he, did, he did the same thing. He, he, he was the controller of the narrative. And, and I, he was I, able to do that in that period of time because he was bringing in so much money for Clear Channel or who, whoever the whoever owned the infrastructure that was on the other side of his microphone between well, and, you and I and, 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 and he was he was the controlling element of that infrastructure and he did it he, he did it by by understanding the whole concept of, of, of syndication. Uh, what, what I'm going to contrast that to is Rupert Murdoch, mm-hmm. who controls all of that and was benefiting greatly. So this is not a, a, a financial thing to Rupert Murdoch. He doesn't care. He, he, he just can't stand to have someone say something that doesn't make him comfortable in his narrative. And he's now, whereas in the past, during the Rush Limbaugh era, I mean, they would have, I mean, he called them explosions of various sorts. I mean, Rush had a, a, a good way of highlighting that, well, people are just going to, blow up over no matter what I say. And as long as, you know, he was always going to have an outlet as well, somehow. He didn't have what Glenn Beck made at the time, which is Glenn Beck was like, when he got kicked out of Fox, he's like, fine. I'll, the technology is there that I can create my own network. Mm-hmm. So he did. He, he created Blaze TV and Blaze Radio. So Carlson, he basically said, I'm my own man. You're hiring me. You have me hired. I'm the most popular uh, talking head, bar none, in all of, uh, I'll call it pedestrian media. Basically something you need a cable box to go look at, which is dying if it's not already dead. Mm -hmm. And he said, 
I, I'm, I can't, I'm not going to do that anymore. And that thus, and Murdoch was like, well, fine, I'll flush down all my money because it's more important to me that you not be heard than I make millions and millions and millions of more dollars. How, so, long, how, how long has it been since the Dallas Cowboys have won the Super Bowl? Good grief. <laughs> or survived past the well, second round of the playoffs. And, and I, I, you know, I might make the point, and again, this is personal observation. I, sure. I, I obviously know nothing, uh, the details of it. But you haven't talked to Jerry. I Well, and the, and the point being is that I, I would view Rupert Murdoch as the Jerry Jones of broadcast media. Mm-hmm. Jerry, yeah. Jerry Jones, uh, uh, I remember when he bought the Dallas Cowboys, uh, he fired uh, 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 Tom Landry uh, to the great consternation of Dallas fans of, at the time. every Dallas fan. Yes, yeah. and, uh, and, and an observation that he made was that uh, no way in the world he was going to buy the Dallas Cowboys and Jimmy Johnson wasn't going to be the coach. Because he and Jimmy Johnson had, uh, that is the correct name, right? It was Jimmy Johnson. Yeah. Uh, were, mm-hmm. were, were like roommates at Arkansas. Uh, they were good buddies. Classic and, good old boy. And, uh, uh, well, and it, it, it was a case of uh, every once in a while, was a, a good old boy knows another good old boy that's really good at something. Yeah, and, yeah. and And uh, Jimmy Johnson was uh, really good at uh, talent and coaching and the whole bit. And, uh, Jerry Jones bought the Cowboys. Uh, he happened to own Herschel Walker, uh, wow. which he traded to, to Minnesota for uh, enough draft choices to outfit a, a new football team. And uh, uh, they became uh, uh, contender, contenders very quickly, and they won what? I think Johnson won three uh, Super Bowls. And then... Uh, uh, at that point, uh, it, 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 by all appearances, Jerry Jones got uh, a little bit jealous of uh, the notoriety. He owned the club, but they were being known as they were being known as uh, the coaches' club, right. rather than the owners' club. And he wasn't going to stand for it. And that's that's kind of my interpretation of what I what I hear from about Fox News and Tucker Carlson. Right? Yeah. He was he was he was bigger than uh, he the was guy doing big. the work was bigger than the guy paying the checks. Yep. And so you you you, you do uh, you do run into that. Uh, uh, in, 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 well, God, that's 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 going to lead me down. That's yeah, that's that's going to take me down another rabbit hole that I don't think we have time for. Uh, if 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 we're going to if we're going to stop talking sometime today. Well, we got 19 uh, minutes. So, so I, I I'm I'm not sure I I want to go down that uh, sure. go down that rabbit uh, hole. We'll, We'll table it. Yeah, we'll I, table I, it. I, I'll, I'll be able to come and bring it up earlier uh, uh, some other time. There's, there's got to be something. Uh, there's got to be something, uh, some tired t- t- term for uh, for this this uh, this knack that uh, I think we both have, but I certainly have. Uh, well, you perfected it. So I've, I've perfected it of, of being able to look at, at virtually anything, and I see a, a different story and a, a different trail to follow that's and, good and, uh, I mean, that's, that's what porch sitting is all about yeah it really is isn't it yeah it yep. is and and we don't unfortunately we don't have enough porches anymore but uh well, we just built one yeah you're oh. welcome to, you can sit on the back or the front oh yeah wow. yeah um we figured you, we'd you, go, oh, go, right. or go you, home you live in a real old folks place. <laughs> thanks that's totally accurate though I'm the only guy. You, you just want to be the. You just well, just wanted to be the young kids on the block. I know. No, we just didn't want to have to deal with buying a house twice in 
the last hopefully 15 years of our working yep. yeah so good grief yeah so we, we we also wanted um to set a price you know so instead of chasing the the oh there's this house over here that's available but it's got the, that dis- stuff and everything else yeah so yeah no it that is it's a little annoying when it i was out on the front deck and and we put some um so my wife loves facebook marketplace and I'm like, talk about dodgy. And we've gotten some stuff over the years on Facebook Marketplace. And I, before we started, we just I was telling you how um, my wife, she'll sit over on the, on the chair and just be scrolling through. And I don't know whether it's cat videos or uh, Star Trek uh, fan groups or whatever, which I think are hilarious. She always loved to send me articles or posts out of these groups that I'm not a member of mm-hmm. and I get this link in messenger that I never use but it pops up on my phone and says you have a message and I go look and it says this content is unavailable either due to uh, it's been removed or you don't have access to it I'm like why do you send me stuff I'm not well just join the group no I don't want to join the group so she was scrolling through uh, Facebook Marketplace and found this uh, lovely, uh, basically deck table and chairs set that had eight chairs and a, you know a big enough table that we could have a few people over. And um, so anyway, that is a whole other story about getting a trailer because I got rid of the truck. So now I'm a I'm a 54 year old male without a pickup truck in Texas and. That dog don't hunt. <laughs> so, but we have this Outback, and the previous Outback we had, it had a trailer hitch on it. I had U-Haul put one on. So, anyway, I'll avoid that, but within two days, I went going from, hey, we have um, we have an outdoor set to pick up <clears throat> down in uh, Pflugerville, Round Rock, and I don't have a way to do it, and... You point out that I live in this certain neighborhood. Well, there's not a lot of pickup trucks running around in in that neighborhood. There's more more golf carts than pickup trucks. So I just go uh, find a place that'll throw a hitch on that sucker. And then the next day I rent a trailer, (laughs) pick the thing up, doing the math over time. Ah, It's a good idea, good good bug out plan if if you've got at least a hitch on the back of one of the vehicles. Uh, What you hitch to it is another story and where you put that, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, fast forward to my fully retired neighbor, who's a retired cop, fun guy, fun you know, White Sox fan, bless his heart. Um, and I just pop out on the front deck because I can now. And it's like nine in the morning, and he's out there, and he goes, "So when do you open the restaurant?" <laughs> it's like, well, depends on the chef. And, you know, if the chef's on board with it, because what we've done, since the back is still being finished. I had to have a place to put all this stinking furniture. So I just organized it nicely on on the front porch. And it literally looks like an alfresco setup for, I mean, you'd expect lights and little things to be draped up there eventually. Tiki torches. Tiki, well, the back deck, yes, it was a requirement that the back deck have tiki torches. Oh, I see. Which it does. We have two tiki torches and two plant hangers now along the back wall. And that's what my wife is doing today with a friend of hers. Um, they are potting plants in the garage now today. So, 
How's that for a rabbit trail, folks? Well, yeah. buried down in there somewhere was 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 the rabbit trail of, uh, of sometimes our, our wives uh, are are a little more forward looking than than we are. Yeah, uh, I, I I recall some years back my uh, uh, my wife uh, uh, got a modest inheritance from her when her mother passed away and and. Uh, she basically took that to do a little bit of remodeling in our house, and she remodeled a, a, a bathroom and our, our main bathroom, and she re- remodeled the kitchen. And the, the kitchen was very nice. She she had it, new countertops put in and cabinets put in, so that that uh, it's a small kitchen, and uh, but very very well. Uh, very well uh, uh, organized. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she works out well. She had the uh, the, the, the the bathroom uh, remodeled uh, uh, to remodel the the shower uh, the uh, uh, shower uh, provide a, a significantly larger uh, shower stall. Uh, uh, put a couple of uh, you know aluminum handrails in it and uh, and and the like and and but you know that was all great. This was a, it, it seemed okay to, to me. I, I, I certainly enjoyed it, uh, but I didn't really fully understand the utility until some years later. Uh, I had um, hip replacement surgery, mm. and uh, so uh, with the hip replacement, I had to go through some period of uh, uh, physical therapy uh, to, mm. to get full mobility back. And in particular, uh, immediately when I came home from the from the surgery. Uh, uh, as, as part of the, the, the procedure, they, they provided uh, home nursing uh, care for uh, a few weeks, uh, a, a nurse coming in to, to make sure that um, uh, I was making okay, kind of a combined nurse and physical therapist doing exercises and the like. But at the very beginning of that, uh, literally, she uh, the, 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 the nurse came by our house and, and uh, uh, to, to see what my environment was going to look like if I was going to be able to make it around the house with uh, uh, when I immediately came home from the surgery, and it was only at that point that I fully understand what my what my wife had done in in, in remodeling the, the bathroom, if you will. The, the the nurse went back and and looked at the bathroom. And it took her about oh three and a half seconds to say, oh okay, you're fixed. Yeah. You know, you you you've got you've got the the low step into the shower. You've got the large shower stall. You can you can put a you can put a stool in the shower stall, right? Mm-hmm. So you can you can sit taking a shower. You've got handrails to uh, allow you to get up from wherever you're at. Uh, to, to you always got to have something to hold on to. And I I realized that you know my wife uh, being forward looking and uh, yeah. realized that at some point. Uh, we, as in me, were mm-hmm. gonna, gonna 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 get to a period where uh, uh, I, I was gonna have to have a little bit of support getting around, and uh, she she just had the thing remodeled and fixed, so it was uh, it was ready to go, and and it was. Awesome. So uh, just a uh, uh, little yep. little indication that sometimes we need a little help, and uh, oh yeah. Uh, it's kind of nice when there's someone forward-looking enough that knows how to do that. So. And it's it's a it's a good mix for the two of us. She'll be looking forward, which sometimes I'm not ready for. I'm like, oh yeah, mm, well, it's not time for that to go in yet. But I understand the opportunity, the price, whatever. As it turns out, it's on further inspection. There's a little work to be done <laughs> to that furniture, but um, mostly it's it's good to go. 
Um, but on the other hand is the infrastructure to move it. And so that's kind of where I think long-term as well of where do the electrical outlets, where do they need to go into this house, for example? Right. What, what sort of uh, service points here and there? Because once you close up the walls, things get really expensive after that to, to, there, there, to adapt. there you run into run, run into an issue and i don't even know what the the, the the accepted design constraints are these days but i i do recall uh, uh uh back in the day when i thought about building a house you know, mm-hmm. I, never, I never have actually constructed a new house as you have uh, but i thought about it a bit and and in thinking about electrical outlets i remember having the thought i probably read it somewhere i'm not sure it was an original thought but I had the thought that, hmm, you know, the really useful thing would be to put electrical out it, but it's about three feet off the floor because Mm -hmm. it gets really tough to crawl around on your hands and knees and find the the outlets that are down at the very baseboard, you know. It would be a lot better if they were up here where I could just reach in. (laughs) Reach in, yeah. yeah. But uh, And so I always thought if I ever built a house, I I was going to have my electrical outlets about three feet off the floor. Uh, and uh, so I could plug them in while I was still standing up. But. Yeah, and I, I for out in the garage, for example, that's that's where they are because yeah. that's, that's where code has them, so that they're not down so low. Okay, and and that's incredibly handy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's an option for inside the house. It, it might be that they need to be low, but. I would think that would only be for aesthetic reasons. Yeah, I, I don't really know. I, I certainly have never, I don't think I've ever walked into a new house and, and, and saw the, the outlets at that level. So, Speaking of new technology, we were talking about this earlier about how um, <clears throat> today, and we can probably wrap up on this, but <clears throat> here I am, um, just a guy with an audio interface and looking over at the network blinking red wondering if this is actually transponding but at least at a point in time i thought we were communicating (laughs) uh to the to the radio server um but back to the main point i'm running this off of batteries and so you know we 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 choose this booth at the diner because i can we can snake an electrical extension cord through the window to a power strip over there that that the restaurant uses or has available. Um, but I thought, yeah, just for fun, I'll, um, I'm a Ryobi guy. So I, I bought one of the, the power inverters for, um, DC to AC. And so I came in this morning and Tim's kind of laughing at me like, Oh, what new gear do you have? And I said in a backpack and a little hand carry office file box, I've got a studio that as long as I have a way to access the internet, I can broadcast live anywhere at any time. And I can just turn on the bat signal, and, and off it goes. And it's not due to any great talent of mine. It's it's just the stubbornness and the whatever to stitch together these bits and pieces to do these things. And they're available. I can go on Amazon, and it shows up the next morning or later that afternoon to my doorstep. And you you know you know full well that the the the. Uh Based on what you just said, the the thing that you need to round this all out is you need a, a little uh, uh, Starlink Earth station and a, a Wi-Fi router on it, and then yeah, and, money. And, 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 and money, and money, 
Yeah. That always seems to be the backdrop. But, you know, if yeah. you, once you yeah. have that, literally. But it exists, yeah, to your you, point. You, you literally can, can, can go out in the middle of, I mean, nowhere. Exactly. And the T-Mobile SpaceX announcement with no specific device. I could, I could set it up. I can use the hotspot feature on my, in this case, T-Mobile phone right. for, for that announcement. Literally, yeah. I know. I know. I've told the story before, but I, I remember we, I used to used to in the, the late 1990s travel a lot to the uh, to the West Coast uh, to, to Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. and uh, so Silicon Valley was the early uptake on every new technology at the time. And I, I remember the uh, uh, at some point there, I, I guess the the whole concept of a, of a personal hotspot uh, was uh, was embedded in phones. Uh, most most of us really weren't even aware that it was a capability, but it was. Uh-huh. And I remember, I remember, uh, and, and and so in those days, getting Wi-Fi access at a conference was was became a little bit problematic. Yeah, you know, it was wasn't absolutely certain today. Today, it, it's a certainty that you go to a conference, you're going to have Wi-Fi. There's going to be conference Wi-Fi. And, yeah, yeah it's on it, it, or in those yeah. days, it, yeah. it it was hit or miss. Sometimes worked, sometimes didn't. We, I went, but I went to a conference uh, where where. Uh, there was not in the conference room itself uh, was not Wi-Fi available, but everybody was had their, their laptops and they, they they were all set up to to, to, to seek out networks and uh, to, to latch on if they could find and and literally some guy in the middle of the room had his phone and he had a he had a personal hotspot on it yeah and it took about you know three and a half minutes and everybody in the room had discovered that and. I remember literally the guy standing up in the in the midst of you know looking around saying, "Come on, you guys!" Out of then, change your password, man. That's <laughs> right. Everybody had latched onto that, and everybody was uh, was yeah. accessing the internet through uh, through that guy's phone, and uh, he w- wasn't happy about it at the time. I, I did that intentionally in our in our booth trade shows because um, we didn't want to pay. Like to, to get Wi-Fi at a booth at a trade show was exorbitantly expensive. Oh, yeah. And then when the phones came out with the above board, you know, yeah, this works. You just click that. Um, there, there I was ran a, our booth off my phone. Yeah, there was there was a time when you when you checked into a hotel and it was going to cost you, you know, seventeen ninety five a day yeah. or a night to have Wi-Fi access in your hotel room. <laughs> and here's another one. So just so... Recently, like in the last six years, we were doing a trade show in D.C. at the D.C. Convention Center. And so we had set up, we had brought our own Wi-Fi. So once again, we had our own Wi-Fi router. It was running off of something similar to what I have over here. Thing was working great. However, the channel contention, once everybody started the show up, the noise, the, the, the Wi-Fi noise... From everybody running all at the same time, probably all on channel four, eleven, seven, whatever. None of these were smart because everybody brought the cheapest yep. router and, and, and you had a mix of devices that were needing to connect to it. We couldn't hear in a way the the devices <laughs> sitting next to each other couldn't hear to know that they were supposed to be talking to each other. So the network fell apart. Yeah. So literally I went down the street and uh, just bought a switch, plugged it into the back, and we went wired. And it was, it was ugly, but it, but it's all I could do. Rather than spend an hour trying to channel seek, 
in the in the 1990s, Austin became uh, was w- w- got on the road to being a high tech center. Mm-hmm. Uh, Silicon and, Gulch. Yep, and 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 so uh, they they entered they they uh, the the people in Austin that were were pushing this. Uh, I, I actually, I thought made a smart arrangement. They they arranged with American Airlines. Mm-hmm. To to guarantee the sale of so many seats, as, as I understand it, again, they, they guaranteed that that they would purchase some some number of they would guarantee to purchase some number of seats if American would run a nonstop from Austin to San Jose. The Nerdbird, and so they started the Nerdbirds. Three flights uh, in the morning, three flights in the evening, both directions. Mm-hmm. So you had over the course of about four hours, I guess you had three individual nonstop flights, and there was Sorry. there was not I uh, the story. This is great. There was not airline <laughs> uh, uh, Wi-Fi available at the time, but there were so many groups of programmers traveling. Groups of employees, right? Of so employees yeah. that they would travel. That that it became very commonplace that that that. that there was an advance guard, if you will, from these groups that would get on the planes first, and by the time everybody else was boarding, they would have run a Ethernet, Ethernet cable, cable to up their and seat. down the airplane, <laughs> right? <laughs> with, with with plug-in points, and and I, I guess these folks they arranged their seats so they were all well, sitting along the, uh, the on the window, on the window seat. seat, and and this goes to the beauty of the MD80. Because mm-hmm. that's what was flying mostly between those. Right. The nerd birds were MD-80s, and you had a an uninterrupted flow from the from, from the like row, back. row row seven yep. to row thirty-three. So you literally could lay down patch cables of various lengths, and some dudes sitting in the middle with the with the switch. Yep. And the other point is, these are all employees of the same company. Yep. So they're basically setting up their own little. Somebody had the file share. And, and, they, a, and they got an extra four hours of work in exactly. the day. Yep. Yeah. And it just, just getting it done. That it, 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 it was, it was, it was fun. I, I, I used to, to, uh, to laugh it, 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 when you got on the plane, particularly when you got on the plane in San Jose. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, normally you, it, it, I, could, I haven't flown in so long, I don't even know, but at, at, at that, that time uh, they, they would have a staggered boarding uh, process. And uh, it, along the lines, in most places at, at, at that time, if you were a member of the frequent flyer or you were an elite yeah. traveler of the frequent, yeah. frequent flyers, you, you got to get on the airplane first, mm-hmm. right? And the the announcement at San Jose always was, you people are all executive platinum or platinum <laughs> members. Everybody is. We're going to force board anybody that's not an executive platinum. That's hilarious. And there, 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 there'd, be, you know, there'd be some couple uh, uh, with, with four little kids, you know, that would get on the airplane first and everybody else is sitting around chomping at the bit. And that probably worked because, you, just like I said with the early morning flight, everybody knew the routine. Yeah. It was all the frequent flyers. And as long as you just segregate the, the, the people that need more time from the people that have a plan... Yep. You're, it's going to go smoothly for everybody. Yeah, uh, the people that had a plan, you could always you could tell them they 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 they'd walk on the plane if they had something going to overhead bids. They they knew precisely how to put it where they slammed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they knew exactly. They had already figured out what they were going to needed out of that. You know, a book or a, a yeah. paper or something to work on. 
They stuck that in the seat pocket. They threw the thing in the overhead bin. They threw their laptop down under the seat, and they sat down, and they were ready to go. Yep. And, I'd say uh, the biggest thing that's changed between then and now is the size of the seat back pocket. The seat back pocket will no longer hold a laptop. Okay. And they did not like it when you tucked your laptop in there previously. Yep. It fit nicely. It was nice and snug. But, no, 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 Just go in the bag under the seat in front of you. So... Yeah. Well, it's cool. It's been a good little chat, Tim. Well, Time flies, huh? People, if, if, if anyone's listening to this, I'm pretty sure they have brain whiplash by now. Well, we appreciate we, we, we appreciate you. Yep. We appreciate you. We appreciate you, Tim. And um, It's been fun. I'll it's been fun. to next time. Thanks, Tim. Oh, and uh, happy Mother's Day. I will find a mother and wish her happy Mother's Day. Wish her Day. happy. Yes. Cool. That'll be it. Happy Mother's Day to your bride. Indeed, indeed. We'll we'll enjoy it. All right. See you next time. Bye-bye. And that's a wrap on episode 28 of the Mike Newman Show. Had a good time doing the live stuff, juggling the juggles, tooting the toots, uh, setting up the chat, chat room and all that. So feel free to say hi next time we do that. Uh, might do it a little more often. We'll see how it goes. Um, it was good. Yeah, it's always a good exercise. This time I decided to do it. Uh, completely on battery, which was kind of cool. Um, that's another story, but nerd stuff. Anyway, uh, by the way, you know by now this is a value-for-value value, uh, activity where Tim and I do these podcasts and uh, things get hosted here and there and files get thrown around and stored and served and all that stuff. And so it costs a little money plus um, just the, the time and effort of doing it. I enjoy doing it. You go to MikeNewman.show, check the About page, and you'll see why I do it. It's mainly for fun, but it's also to try to stay up with the good folks over at Podcasting 2.0 as best I can with my text editor and R-Sync and a little static web server. Trying to do a minimalist job here of how can I put up a podcast that, you know, the value's what it is to you. And that's the whole fun part. So I put a little value into it. Dr. Tim puts a little value into it. And uh, if you enjoyed it, just want to cheer along or do something send us a boostagram through a modern podcast app and you can find one of those at newpodcastapps.com i hear also that you can find it at nudepodcasts.com that's the kind of fun uh, fun folks we hang out with uh, people that buy domain names for silly reasons and redirect them to where people actually probably should go so I uh, appreciate your time. Look forward to doing this again probably in a couple weeks. That's kind of how we roll. And until then, honestly, folks, John 317.